Before the late 1970s and the Carter administration's repeal of the law against home brewing, about the only kind of beer that was readily available was plain old American-style light lager. Sure, there was Anchor Steam out in California, but where I grew up, who in Missouri ever heard of that? The same thing that can be said about bicycles. The predominant bicycle that you saw was a single-speed Schwinn or something similar. I don't even think my brother and I had anything as fancy as a Schwinn. We pedaled around on the Western Auto store brand numbers. Bikes were seen as something that kids used to get around the neighborhood or maybe used on their newspaper route. I remember the first kid to get a 10-speed bike in our group, and it was a real oddity. First, we thought it was cool. And then the skinny tires they cut into and sunk down into the hot, soft asphalt of the Missouri summer blacktops. Or they'd skitter around on the gravel roads and driveways. And if you hit a pothole with one of those things, forget it. The wheel and rim, everything, tire was blown, it was done. Nobody in the United States in 1977 thought anything about even attempting something like bicycling across the state or the country traveling from town to town on a bicycle, that would be nuts, right? I don't recall hearing anything about the Tour de France until I was in college, or maybe even later. I really don't remember. There just was no bicycling culture in the United States at that time. But beginning in the 1970s and through the 80s, misfits from all over the country began to band together and start cycling clubs, traveling across expanses of open land, forming races and tours across many of the United States. Parks and recreation departments across the country began to build purposefully intended bike paths and trails. The culture expanded to include mountain biking, another thing never heard of in the late 70s or early 80s, and today... Cycling and biking are one of the most popular forms of outdoor recreation in the country. But I've been curious for a while. What is the connection between cycling and craft beer? How did that happen? It's quite a ubiquitous scene. And it might seem cliche to some people out there, but there's no denying there is a relationship between craft brewing and cycling, and it is very, very strong. There are a plethora of examples of bicycle jerseys with craft beer logos, bicycle events, teams, and clubs, all supported by craft breweries. You'll also see many bicycle-inspired beers and beers named after bicycles, and even breweries named after bicycles or bicycle events. Even at the pub in Jefferson City, if the weather is nice, and maybe if it's not so nice, you're more than likely to see a bike outside the pub and cyclists coming off of Missouri's Katy Trail State Park stopping in to replenish the carb drain with a delicious IPA, Vit beer, or a stout or porter. You know, now that autumn is here, it's time to get back out on the trail myself. And I will, I will, just as soon as I get back from Ireland. Now I feel guilty for not riding my bike more often this year. You know... One of these days, I've really got to stop procrastinating. This is episode 18. Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tatman. Thank you, Jessica, and hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brews Traveler, and thank you for finding us out here in the podcasting universe. 
I am recording this at the Fitzroy Studio in Chicago, Illinois. I'm getting ready to fly out later this evening to Ireland. I'm guiding a tour for 14 friends. And besides the usual Ireland stuff that we do on these tours, go to castles, scenery, crystal shops, you know, eat fish and chips, leprechaun factory, outlet stores, chasing sheep, drinking in pubs. Sometimes the drinking in pubs comes before the chasing of the sheep. Anyway... I'm going to explore the growing craft beer scene while I'm over in the Emerald Isle. I'm going to be talking to some people about craft beer and how it has emerged and grown in Ireland, which just a few years ago, there was no craft beer. And so I'll be posting a lot of Facebook Live videos, uh, some not so live. So if you're not following us yet over on Facebook, you can find us at sign the Bruise Traveler podcast. Uh, please like the page and follow along so you can keep up with our adventures in Ireland. Last night when I got here to Chicago, I stopped by Revolution Brewing. Uh, that's episode three. We did an interview with Doug Velicki of Revolution Brewing here in Chicago. I stopped in at their brew pub on Logan Square. We crushed a few pints. My godson and I, Gordy, he played Chewbacca to my Han Solo, and that reference will be... Uh, more clear to you uh, after you've listened to the entire podcast. <laughs> and Revolution has so many fantastic beers. I could have stayed and drank until closing time, but I just had too much to do today, including getting this up for you guys before I fly over the pond. Seems like I just did that, doesn't it? Anyway, well, I did. Okay, anyway. So, in this week's show, I sat down with Dave Morgan and Austin Myers, owner, founder, and head brewer, respectively, of Single Speed Brewing of Waterloo, Iowa, and I talked to them about their relatively new endeavor, only a year and a half old, at their new state-of-the-art brewery and taproom. Tony and I talked this week about the lingo of craft beer, and I learned a few things that I did not know. Tony and I created a new word we need to add to the lexicon, hopophobic. And what is a hopophobic? Well, that is someone who likes some craft beers, but they say, I don't like IPAs. And the only reason they don't like IPAs is because they drank one that they didn't like. And at some point in time, and they didn't like it. So now they don't try anything that has the word IPA attached to it. You know, I always say, and you've heard me say it here on the show, if Somebody that says they don't like IPAs, but they like craft beer. They just haven't found one yet that suits them. Hashtag hopophobic. Hashtag craft beer lingo. Hashtag don't be afraid of hops. But first this week, I called up my friend Nick Smith. He owns Red Wheel Bicycle Shop in Jefferson City, just down the hill from our house, and I wanted some brief thoughts from him about the connections between cycling and craft beer. Now, I apologize for the quality of this audio. Uh, some of it was even worse, and I had to cut a lot out. And I have no idea why, because I recorded that on the same gizmo that I'm using right now. But, you know, it just, for some reason, it got that buzzing in there. I'm sure that Tom Baker will call me and say, hey, you idiot, you need to do this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I know, Tom. I know. Anyway, here's Nick and his brief abridged thoughts on craft beer and cycling. Reeb bikes. Mm -hmm. So he has beer spelled backwards. And um, 
you know, what's the first thing that pops to mind when you're talking about the marriage of cycling and craft beer, you know, those guys have kind of built their bike, you know, culture around craft beer for sure. And those guys are in Asheville, North Carolina. They've got an incredible compound with trails and, and, you know, the whole deal that, you know, all kind of come, uh, comes together with the beer garden too. And just everything that's going on out there in Asheville, North Carolina, you've got, um, uh, Sierra Nevada's just opened up another brewery out there. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot going on and I feel like the cycling and the biking are, you know, kind of hand in hand out there. Well, I know you're a craft beer enthusiast. Now, I mean, when, when did, which came first for you, the cycling or the craft beer, or did they kind of come along at the same time? Well, I've been, I've been riding since I was forever so you know i wasn't drinking craft beer when i was 10 years old riding my bike through the woods obviously but (laughs) you know you know in craft beer i you know i can remember going to avi's and getting a six-pack in newcastle and that was a big deal oh yeah you could find in in newcastle i don't know that you really consider that craft beer but you know that was that was pretty spectacular you know but I, I would say that we've been drinking craft beer as long as craft beer has really been available, you know, since it's boom, what, 20 years ago? I mean, how, how long has craft beer really been, been popular? Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, I remember the first time I drank um, a craft beer really was 1989. So, I yeah. mean, uh, I, but, but it didn't really become into the mainstream uh, thought process until, you know, like, you're right, about 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I have a sticker on my kegerator downstairs that says I've been drinking beer as long as I've known about it. And <laughs> I, I kind of have the same feeling about craft beer. You know, I've been drinking craft beer as long as I've known about it, you know, with that first six pack of fat tire, you know, back in the day, you know. Thanks, Nick. And again, guys, sorry about the audio. I don't know what I did. But after talking to Nick, I had an idea. Maybe we have a roundtable discussion down at uh, Red Wheel Bike Shop with some of Nick's cycling buddies one evening over some craft beers and get their take on craft beer and cycling and that connection. And uh, after I had that idea, it gave me another idea. I'd like to know your thoughts about that and different kinds of segments that you might find interesting on the podcast. Maybe a question and answer time or uh, more roundtable discussions or more little interviews with people that are uh, kind of associated with craft beer, craft beer enthusiasts, not necessarily craft brewers. So, you know, just let me know. Any and all ideas are welcome. Just send a message to me over on the Facebook page, or better yet, send me an email to cheers at thebrewstraveler.com with your thoughts, questions, or comments. I look forward to hearing any and all of your ideas. But right now, Let's head up to Waterloo, Iowa and have a chat with Dave Morgan and Austin Myers of Single Speed Brewing. And here it is, folks, your interview of the week. Hi, everybody. We are in Waterloo, Iowa at the home of Single Speed Brewing. And I'm here with founder and brewer Dave Morgan and head brewer Austin Myers. Guys, thanks for having us in, and we really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy Monday to sit down and share a goza with me. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Excited you're joining us today. I'll tell you how I found out about you. Our our niece lives here in Waterloo, and she told us about your brewery. We came up for Irish Fest, 
and then we came over Saturday and I checked it out and we had some of your I had some of your flatbread pizza. I'll tell you right now, there were six of us and everybody raved about the quality, not only of the beer, because we, we did flights and a bunch of stuff. We weren't driving. Fun, yeah. Uh, but the food, it's 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 a, it's a little better than most tap room cuisine. I will. I'd say that. Well, we're happy to hear that. Yeah, the guys, the guys work hard back there too. You yeah. Know, we have a, a multi-pronged uh, business plan here that includes our tap room, and, and we want you to have a good experience when you're here, of course, in terms of food and atmosphere. So yeah, those guys work really hard back there. We'll get into more about the about the uh, the location here in a little bit, but uh, when I first walked in here Saturday, um, what it reminded me of just your beer hall here, uh, it reminded me of Surly. Yeah, we hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a little, a li- and I take that as a compliment. Because we always I, I, do. Yeah, yeah we and always do. In, in St. Louis, Urban Chestnut has a very similar facility. Uh, they have the pizza, they have the kitchen, they have yeah. it. It's just everything is the other way around. Is that a design that's going to become more and more prevalent, you think, with the beer hall? Oh, I don't know. I mean, the guys you just mentioned do really well, so I right. suppose it's, there's something to it, right? Yeah. The building that we inherited here kind of led us to the design more than anything else. And then we heard a lot of times as we were finishing the design and, and first getting open, like, man, this is like a, a miniature Surly in, in Iowa. Right. And we're like, man, right. I mean, every time we hear the word Surly and then we relate to that, we're, we're happy to <laughs> we're happy to draw that comparison, yeah. I heard a story that you bought the building for $1 and then invested over $6 million in it to get it up to speed. That sounds about right, yeah. Is that right? That, yeah. that, that's, that's great that they would work with you to get this done. Some complicated stuff in the middle uh, <laughs> between those points, yeah, yeah. but that's, that's correct. So this building is a 1927 uh, original construction Wonder Bread factory right. that had been defunct since 2012. So it, they used to make Wonder Bread, uh, Wonder Bread, and Hostess cakes here. Is that right? Primarily bread, as I understand. Primarily it, bread. Yeah. Okay. How did this get? How did you get this started? I mean, we've talked about how you got the building, but how did this all come about? Well, I opened a nano brewery back in 2012 called Single Speed Brewing Company in uh, a neighboring town of Cedar Falls. It's basically right. attached to Waterloo. Um, three barrel brew house, uh, six fermenters, six fermenters, six fermenters, six three barrel fermenters. Some bright tanks in the basement. Yeah. 45 seat tap room. What year was that again? Um, 2012. 2012. Late 2012. So we played around with that thing for a few years and quickly we're looking for growth opportunities because that's, I just, you can do the math from what I just told you. There's not much liquid there, right? There isn't, right. there's not much beer to sell. And we sold it all in a tap room, which was great and it was fun, but financially you have to look for right. some growth from that. I mean, that, does, that doesn't go very far. Um, as we were looking, Somebody brought this project to us and, and talked about the potential of this building that we're in now, which is our initial building, 1,700 square feet. And this one's around 35,000, I think. Um, so we had to shift gears there and, and try to figure out exactly how you take 1,700 square feet and scale it up to 35,000. You don't do it by just making 1,700 square feet no. bigger. You start to look at guys that have done that before. Right. Um, so we started doing research on facilities of the same size with similar concepts and to see how they laid it out. Um, luckily for me, I have a restaurant background that I, okay. that I worked in before, before opening the Nano Brewery in 2012. So I was able to take a little bit of that knowledge and kind of transplant it into, into a footprint such as this. We also hired some really smart people. I mean, we hired some architects. That always makes you look better when you hire smart yeah, people. We, yeah. we brought good architects on the team. We had a, we had a good GC on the project. Um, 
there was a historian involved. This is a historic structure, so we had a historian right. working on the project. And is do you know if the, is this property listed on the National Register? It is. Okay. We, we listed it on the National Register of Historic Places, and then we also followed their standards for rehabilitation. Right. So we were able to access some state and federal funding to help us with the project as well. So how did you get started in craft brewing? Uh, so. Prior to 2012, I was running a pizza joint slash craft beer bar okay. that I'd opened with a group of guys back in 2002. Mm -hmm. So I'd had an interest in craft beer since I started drinking it and then attempting to sell it to people and, and convince them that craft beer was a thing that they should be drinking as well. So in the early 2000s, and um, after doing that for you know a decade or so, I was looking for a new challenge. So Austin, how did you get involved in craft beer? Um, kind of a, a fun circumstance of events. I had studied abroad in Austria for a semester when I was 19, uh, and that was really my first experience getting out there and trying all sorts of different kinds of beers. Um, you know, there was a, a craft bar across from my dorm, had over 300 beers and bottles and drafts. Where'd you go to school? I went to school at uh, Clark University okay. in, in Dubuque, Iowa. Okay. Um, majored in finance and history, and then just kind of fell in love in those couple months while I was over there with, with beer. Right. Um, so many different things you can do with it, right? Uh, and then quickly, quickly started homebrewing and just kind of loved um, you know, everything about beer, whether it's con consuming it or or creating it, and the the continuous unknown that exists with beer. You know, I mean, there's there's not a there's not a brewer out there, or a good one at least, who will tell you that he knows everything. Um, there's just a continuous quest for knowledge. And then that, that kind of really caught my attention. Right. And then it would have been 2014 after graduating from Clark. Uh, Dave gave me an opportunity to work a couple of days a week in the brewery and at the bar. And then as the, as the organization has continued to grow, uh, so too has, have, have my opportunities with it. So. so how long have you guys been uh, collaborating, working together? Austin would know better than me. About four and a half years now. Okay. And when did you guys move into here? We started brewing over here about, what, a year and a half? Just over a year and a half ago? Just over a year and a half ago, yeah. yeah. And how, how big a barrel system have you got here now? He's got a 20-barrel brew house that he works off of over mm -hmm. here. Um, and then you've got the other location in Cedar Falls? Three, yep. Yeah, and, it, uh, and that's... Uh, how big is the uh, brew house? Three-barrel brew house Three, and 18-barrel okay. uh, cellar over there. Okay. okay. So, yeah, we grew sevenfold by coming over here, but that's not really true because our cellar here is so much larger. Right. He's got, I don't know, a dozen 20s back there and a handful of 40s. Is that what you're working off of right now? Uh, we've got 10 20s and then six 40-barrel fermenters. Nice. So, yeah, three-barrel brew house is small, but it's even smaller when you undersize the cellar and only allow yourself to brew twice a week. Right. Yeah, and that's what... <laughs> That's what you do when you don't know how to open up a brewery in 2012. Right. Waterloo. Are you guys both from this area? I'm from New Hampton, which is an hour north. Okay. And then I graduated from the University of Northern Iowa, which is in Cedar Falls, right, right next right. door here. Uh, both of my parents grew up in Waterloo, so I okay. spent some time in Waterloo as a child. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't go through any uh, elementary or high school in, right. in this community. So how'd you come up with the name? I know there's something about craft beer and and cyclist. So uh, the real short version of it is I was riding my dry bike and drinking craft beer. So we can start with that. But so the restaurant that I used to operate, the craft beer bar, if you will, slash pizza mm -hmm. joint, 
We did Wednesday night rides. Okay. So with the local bike shop. Right. And the Soft Trails Association in this town, they call themselves the Cedar Valley Association for Soft Trails. They maintain all the dirt for running, hiking, biking, cross-country skiing, whatever you want to do on soft trails in our community. We did Wednesday night rides. And there was a while, I mean, months and months of rides that I was talking about transitioning from operating that restaurant into opening a nano brewery because right. our community didn't really have anything of that nature. I felt like there was a void to be filled and that it would be a, a fun new challenge for me to take on. And most weeks I got laughed at by the guys as we were drinking beers. But then one week I came back after riding in the back of the pack, which is typically what I was doing for multiple reasons, but I would call it sweeping. I was making sure no one got lost. It was my excuse to be back there. Nevertheless, I came back in and ordered a round of beers and we were sitting down and I was like, guys, while I was back there tonight, I think I came up, I think I came up with the name for this brewery I'm going to try to open. And they were like, go ahead and throw it at us. And I said, we're going to call it Single Speed. And they're like, well, we like, we like the name, but why, why, why Single Speed? And I was like, well, we're going to put in this, this little brew house that's going to operate and kick out very, very small quantities of beer. And we don't have the ability to make any more than that. And they're like, uh, all right, I, I'm still not really following you. And I'm like, well, these massive breweries have, you know, 100, 500 barrel brew houses, right? It takes them an eight-hour shift to kick out a bunch of beer. It's going to take us an eight-hour shift to kick out almost no beer. They basically just shift it. Right. We don't have that opportunity. We're riding a single speed down here. Okay. That makes, now that, now that makes complete sense. Kind of at least, right? Yeah. Uh, I love, when I talk to brewers and founders, how they came up with their names, it's always a interesting story so yeah. that's where that one came from and we've just stuck with it it's a good name i was here the other day and i saw you sell the uh the kits the jerseys yeah the, yeah. The, the cycling jersey there was a fellow sitting there i got a photo i got a good photograph of it so what's your annual production right now what do you think we'll do this year ballpark we'd like to hit four thousand barrels this year okay um, we did recently add a canning line back in in june mm -hmm. which obviously saw a pretty significant mm -hmm. uptick in, in production uh since that has been installed we've been brewing uh, at more of a six thousand barrel pace okay so i think we'll, we're, we feel pretty good about hitting four this year and then we'd like to obviously continue continue to to push push and sell as much as we can moving forward what are you doing as far as distribution goes canning line's a couple months old now so we're learning how how to navigate those distribution channels appropriately right now. It seems to be going well early. Um, early results are good at least. We have most of Iowa covered. Okay. I think by the end of this year we'll get the rest of Iowa covered. Okay. Um, it's just a matter of us launching markets and being able to go in and support, right. support ourselves within the market, right. making sure we have time to dedicate to get into that market appropriately. So yeah, we have most of Iowa covered. Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, Dubuque, Davenport, Des Moines a big one of course. We go up northeast a little bit into the Mason City, Clear Lake, Wacom, Decorah area. Um, a lot of beer lovers up in that Decorah area, so we, we get up there and play around a bit too. Um, it's beautiful country up there too. Oh uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's always fun to go up there. That's, trout fishing up that's there I, years ago. Uh, that's yeah, the, the Alps of Iowa. Yeah, it's, it's really pretty. It's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. So you've only been what a year and a half here at this location, yeah. and you're and you're going to crank out four thousand barrels. That's pretty. That's pretty good. Uh, considering that, yeah, you just really kind of just still getting your feet wet. Yeah, it's above our initial goal pace, right. so that's good. That's what we like to operate is above right. above goal pace. So, so tell us about your portfolio. Well, honestly, we we do like to try uh, 
we like to be diverse. Mm-hmm. We like to do a little bit of everything. And I think that's reflected in our portfolio as well. You know, we want we want someone to be able to come here and have, um, you know, have their their favorite coffee beer, or their favorite IPA, or even you know, something that's a touch acidic uh, in with some of our sour beers. Um, you did mention I really like pale lagers. It's most definitely true, but there's not many beers that I've met that I don't enjoy. <laughs> um, so I, I guess ultimately we like to we like to remain diverse, uh, and we want to do everything that we do to the best of our abilities. Um, so we like to think that every time we're brewing a beer, we're going to be learning something from it as well. Yeah. Um, whether it's a pilot batch or a production batch, but I think for us in particular, there's a lot of opportunity in the in the sour beer market. Um, we just started our shift into sour series last September. I think that's that right? right. With uh, Jeremy the Giant Peach, so we're coming up on a on a full year of that. And those those beers are almost exclusively kettle soured at this time, but we do also have two fooders that you know we like to throw the occasional batch of, of beer out of. But uh, production volume on those is going to be fairly low, just right. the nature of the process. But I think a lot of our fruited sours um, have started to take traction in in, in the market, right. and uh, much like with the, the ring around the Goza, we're Think we're doing a pretty good job with it. Well, you, your Gracie goes. I drank three uh, chalices of it on Saturday, and then I had another one over at uh, Screaming Eagle last night. Of course, they put it in plastic because it's Irish vessels. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like that's 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 sacrilegious. But I really enjoyed that beer. That was a good beer. I also I did a flight in which I had the coconut, the saison, the coconut uh, double IPA. That was an it's, that was a good beer. It was very interesting. I liked uh, how it was really kind of, it was very layered. And, uh, it, and it was well hopped, it was well balanced, and you had that coconut aroma and a little bit of the flavor, but it wasn't overpowering. And that's, that's a complicated beer. I'm not a brewer, but I know, I've read enough and I've seen enough. That's a complicated beer. That you, could, you could easily mess that one up. But that really, that's really good beer. Uh, I also, you. I had the Saison, which was very nice. And uh, I had Slightly Heightened and Tip the Cow. Um, what's your flagship beer? What do you sell the most of? Oh, it varies by market, but Tip the Cow's right up there. Um, depending on which market we go into, Tip the Cow can be number one or Victory Dance, our American IPA. Okay. Our American IPA does really, really well for us locally. Right. As we go out a little bit further, it declines, and Tip the Cow kind of takes over, and, and we do a lot of that stout. So you've been doing this now for six years. What's the worst day that you ever had? Oh, man. Do we have bad days? Well, that's a good thing. Less, less good days, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Even uh, a bad day is a good day in the brewing industry, right? That's right, right. Yeah. It's like uh, a bad day of fishing. I would say maybe we had a couple tough ones early on over here as we were trying to figure out the brew house and the system, and... You, know, you have high expectations as you're trying to scale up from your three barrel to your 20 barrel and you want to get out there and get the liquid as good as it can be and also get it in the market, right? Because you're so excited about actually having the beer to share mm-hmm. and not every beer scales the way that you want it to right away. So even, right. even Victory Dance, our flagship IPA, it took us a handful of additions of that over here on our 20 barrel brew house to get the aromatics and the flavor right. Um, and then we constantly tweaked it for almost 12 months dial it yeah. in exactly to where it is today be it recipe or process yeah and now yeah. we try not to touch it because we love it but you know those days are 
I don't want to say they're bad days. They're just frustrating days. Frustrating, yeah. Because yeah. you, you know you can get there, and you're working really hard to get there, and then you're trying the latest batch of it, and you're like, shoot, you know, that's not quite... Is it a good IPA? Yeah. yeah. Is that victory dance? Mm. You know, yeah. not as we know it, and, and not as our consumer knows it. So it took a while to dial those in. Right. And those days were... Those days are tough, because then you have to wait, you know, another turn... 21 days to see on some of those beers right. to see like what your little change does to get it where you want it to go. Yeah, it's not like it's not like working in a kitchen where you're going to find uh, out. Where yeah, you don't just jump back there no. and throw a little more cayenne and right, everything's cool, right, right? Right. No, it doesn't go that way. Frustrating days, yeah. I, but what's been your best day? When? What day? What happened? And on what day that you said, "Yeah, I made the right choice. I'm doing what I need to be doing." I want to start with you, Austin. When did you realize that, yeah, this is the right path for me? I'll go on record saying we have the same day, and then I'll wait to see what he says. Okay. <laughs> uh, it, it actually wasn't a day that we were, we were in, the, in the brewery itself. It was, um, as we're drinking the ring around the Goza, we were, out, we were down in Nashville this past May uh, for a craft brewers conference, mm-hmm. and this was the one of the two years. Craft, uh, World Beer Cup is every other year, right? Uh, and it travels with craft brewers conference. This year was World Beer Cup year, and we and we were like, ah, we'll we'll send a couple beers down. What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, four times disappointment if you send four beers, right? But uh, we we actually were fortunate enough to come back with a with the bronze medal for contemporary Goza with the ring around the Goza, uh, and I think that was that was pretty great it's still mm-hmm. fairly surreal I would say um, but that was a moment where it was we, we we feel like we do a good job with our beer um, and we don't necessarily need to have the, the outside validation but that was like that was an award that you you feel pretty darn good about and you bring it back and, and the entire brewery team you know understands why occasionally they're putting in a 12 or 14 hour day and it's it pays off Congratulations. Thank you very much. How big is your brewery team? Uh, between us, we've got six six guys okay. across both breweries. Okay. Um, there is some cross-training, but we've got four guys that are here, uh, including myself, at our Waterloo location five days, five, sometimes six days a week. How many total employees do you have? We're around 80 right now. Wow. And a lot of that's on the restaurant side. That's I mean, cool you're, still. You're that's, sitting in the yeah, facility. I yeah. think it seats 400 or, yeah, or something along yeah. those lines. So we've got a lot of restaurant staff, right. and some of those being part-timers. But restaurant or brewery dedicated, we're probably pushing a dozen or so between administration and sales and guys working the pilot system and the innovation system, right. and then your team over here and your lab tech over here. Probably pushing a dozen on the brewery side full-timers, I would say. Dave, what's been your best day? When when did you say, yeah, this is right? Yeah, that was the best day. I mean, that was clearly the most fun we've had in like a really small moment of time. Right. You know, if you go back and look at that, we worked really hard on that series of beers and on this beer in particular. Right. And to get some sort of a validation for all of the efforts that went into it and be like, you know, we, the people in our tap room and, and ourselves aren't the only people that think that we know what we're doing. We love this beer because, you know, like I said, we just got into the state. We just actually got our right. beer to touch a lot of people, and to get uh, to be recognized in that fashion by by people that that rate beer so highly and right. regard the brewing industry so highly was a great thing for us. Um, other than that, best day over here. 
Not the first day we opened, because that was far too stressful. But It always is. A lot of good days in the first month that we opened when we started to see the community was really behind us and they were going to come on in and drink our beer and eat our food and have fun with us. You know, that first month was a lot of fun in general once we got right. our feet underneath us and, and got a chance to, to talk to a lot of people that were around us. So when um, do you guys have like a Founders Day or anything, celebration, or do you like an anniversary party or anything like that? We did last year. We had a nice little anniversary party. And when's the date on that? Right around 420. Yep. Oh, yeah, nice. Right around 420. So April of every year we have a little, I think we make the whole week a celebration. I mean, might as well do a whole week if you're going to do a day, right? I think we party for a whole week. <laughs> uh, we've got a thing coming up in October that's probably going to be our our most exciting single day of the year. Uh, we have a beer called Zach's Mexican Donuts, which okay. is a spiced oatmeal stout. And that launches on Halloween of every year. Okay. And we're going to have a little party on the weekend in front of Halloween this year calling it Zach's Mexican Donuts Day, working with the local donut guy and um, launching the beer that day and firing some cans off the canning line that day. Spiced milk stout. Spiced oatmeal stout. Uh, spiced oatmeal stout. So. Austin can get into the details. I can tell you it's got locally roasted coffee, vanilla, cayenne, cinnamon? Yep. Yeah. Oatmeal stout. Yeah. That sounds delicious. It's, It'd be good with a donut. That's the plan, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's and, the plan. Anything else that fans of single speed uh, can look forward to in the future? Any new, anything new coming down the pike? You know, year two of shifting the Sour Series. So those beers are going to be great as they come out. I mean, they roll, they roll out every two months. So right. we're about to go into Jeremy and the Giant Peach. That's going to be a fantastic fall beer. Uh, we're, sh we're adding a beer to our core and retracting two. We're shrinking our core, core down a little bit to five brands from six. What will those be? So, Tip the Cow, Victory Dance, Tricycle. Gable's going to be the add-on. Who am I missing? Kung Fuji Fighting. Kung Fuji Fighting, which is our Belgian right. white, white tea IPA. But um, we're adding Gable as of 9-1 and we're pulling Equatorial and Brood Times 2 back out and try to reevaluate what we're going to do with those brands moving forward. But we're excited to add Gable to Mina Callis. We're excited to add Gable moving forward beginning this fall. Okay, so at any point in time, you're going to have those five flagships, or those, yeah. those five, the core, I should say. How, um, what, what, how many seasonal specialties will you have on at the same time here at the tap room? A lot. <laughs> we typically have 12, yeah. 12 styles wide here. So, and then most of those actually go to market as well. So, okay. we launch a shift into sour beer every two months. Um, our seasonal schedule, other than the shift into sour, is a little bit random. Some months we have two, some months we have one. Right. And then we're working on a new Nimble series as well that Austin, Austin can probably give you better detail about. But we're working on a new Nimble series Nimbles. that'll uh, well, alternate with our shift into now sour what's, series. What's this Nimble? What's this going to be like? Uh, so the Nimble series itself. Um, Obviously, in the last five and a half years, we've we've grown to a pretty significant degree from where we started. Uh, but that being said, we still like we're still very flexible. We're we're still so nimble, right? So we're not while we're bigger than we were. We're not so big that we can't kind of change on the fly. Right. Um, so with this nimble series, what we want to try and do is brew a bunch of uh, hop forward beers, where we kind of focus on uh, you know a new new hop variety or a new uh, hop product or even a, a hopping technique, whether it's you know, adding dry hops right at the start of fermentation or using some distilled hop oils. Uh, we're, we're 
that it's kind of a great opportunity for us uh, to, to just continue to experiment, to keep brewing and learning, whether it's a new, you know, like a new variety. We, we started to brew a couple of beers with uh, Laurel Cryo Hops mm-hmm. uh, over in uh, Cedar Falls at our pilot system. And we're just kind of trying to trying to find the right place for that hop varietal in, in and of itself. But uh, I think, obviously, people love love their hops, right? Like IPAs and, and double IPAs and whatnot. But there's a lot of a lot of different approaches that we can take to hopping those beers, and I think I think it'll be I'm excited. Right. Yeah, the team in Cedar Falls is excited as well. So. So, and the name Nimble came from the fact that we we can kind of move around. It's ni- like flexible, nimble Absolutely. that way. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's we just cool. found something very cool. We're going to give it to you right now. Okay. Where a lot of the bigger guys just don't have the ability right. to do that. Right. 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 So, and, and we do that in our Cedar Falls tap room. We're always playing around with stuff over okay. there, and the people get to come into that tap room and try it, and then a week later the beer's gone, right? right. So you didn't get to touch as many people with it right. as you would like. We're going to take some of those concepts and products and techniques and varietals and bring them over here and, and let it go out a little bit wider. So anything else you'd like to tell the listeners about single speed? No, I think you did a pretty good job. All right. yeah. I think we got everything out there, right? So what, what will be the date of the, the donut oatmeal stout? 1027. Saturday, 1027. Okay. Tickets will go on sale on 101. Okay. 1027, Zach's Mexican Donuts Oatmeal Stout. Marilee, we might be coming back the 27th of October. Yeah, it'll be a party on the 27th. <laughs> that's a guarantee. Yeah. That's a guarantee. Dave Morgan. Austin Myers, guys, thank you very much. And thanks for sharing this Ring Around the Goza with me for breakfast on a Monday morning. Absolutely. Slancha, cheers. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks again to Dave and Austin. I'm sorry I didn't have five questions lightning around with them, but to be honest, it was on a Monday morning after the Iowa Irish Fest, and we had been drinking with Pat and Steve and Ryan and all of the guy, Pete, and all of the guys with Gaelic Storm the night before and the night before that. And I was, I was shot. I won't say I was hungover, but I was, I was wiped out. We'll get back to single speed soon. I really do want to get back up there, and I look forward to seeing them again, probably around the holidays as Marilee and I are looking to go back to Waterloo to see the family up there around that time. Definitely we'll have dinner and a few brews at single speed while we were there. Unfortunately, not going to make it to the Mexican Donut Oatmeal Stout release party on October 27th. I forgot I have a marriage ceremony to perform that day. But if you want to attend the Mexican Donut Oatmeal Stout release party, also known as ZMD Day on October 27th, you can get your tickets for the event, only $12 each, and discover what that entails, as well as the other things that Single Speed has going on, like trivia nights, restaurant hours, taproom hours, tours, every and anything that you would love to know about Single Speed Brewing in Waterloo, Iowa, over at their website, singlespeedbrewing.com. Now it's time for What's the Rumpus with Tony. What's going on in the world of craft brewing? Mr. Tony Rehagen, how are you this Sunday evening? Doing real well, Alan. Yourself? I'm doing great. I'm throwing some things in a bag and getting ready to leave in the morning. Taking the train up to Chicago. 
and uh, then I'll fly out Tuesday. What uh, what day are you guys flying over? Oh, we're going to fly in. Um, we're leaving Thursday, and we'll arrive right at uh, 9 a.m. Uh, local time on Friday. I'll see you Friday morning then at uh, Dublin Airport. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a great time. But we got a show to do right now, and you <laughs> you uh, you told me you had a topic, and I'm really interested in this craft beer enthusiast lingo. How about that? That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's what's what's something, and you you realize this really quickly as a journalist. Sometimes when you go out, uh, being a journalist, especially a general interest journalist, you you tell people. I, that's what I tell people is I know a little bit about a lot of things, but I know a lot about very very little. Um, and that's kind of the thing you face when you're kind of entering the world of craft beer is that the people that are really into it almost speak a completely different language. And then and to, be cl- to be clear, you know, to be clear, this isn't like brewer's lingo, like aeration or lactobacillus. You know, this is this is what you need to know uh, as you head out into the brew pubs and the beer stores and the bottle shares. Uh, so you don't sound like you're a complete idiot. Right. Or a, com- or, or a complete noob, as is the term <laughs> for somebody entering. entering. That's pretty general. Yeah, so most of these I got from a, a Vine Pair and a Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Um, they had a bunch of stuff. But it starts, I mean, it starts right at the beginning. It starts with receptacles. Like, used to, all you needed to know was a bottle, can, or keg, and maybe like a tall boy, you know. Uh, then came the growler, then the crowler. But now you have things like bombers, which, you know, the 22-ounce uh, bottles that are, are maddening because you can drink them in one sitting, which you probably shouldn't usually yeah. by yourself. <laughs> and if you drink them by yourself, that's called soloing. What I did the, on last week's podcast was the stovepipe, uh, which was news to me when I saw that story, the 19.2-ounce cans that are shaped like stovepipes. I mean, you have, just have to know that much. Um, the other thing is you kind of have to self-identify, and it's interesting. There's, there's plenty, as you can imagine, in craft beer, and I've been subject to this too, uh, kind of bridging both sides as I'm, I'm a noob myself. Um, there's some derisive terms for people who just get into it. There's new money who are only aware of like the recent trends who have no sense of the history of craft beer or anything like that. Right. Um, there are neck beards, which is kind of the hipster version of that with no sense of history. And then the, the, the <laughs> right, they call them neck beards, obviously, because of Yeah, the, they don't the, trim uh, their, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm, which I'm is, the same way. Which is, uh, I can't, I can't have, I, I wear a beard, as you know. Uh, Absolutely. I got to keep my neck clean, though. I, don't, I just. See, I'm I, the opposite. I, I, I've never been able to wear it down there. It just bothers me. Anyway, go on. <laughs> no, no, and that's what's kind of sobering is a lot of this is pretty much describes me. Um, there's the there are haze boys or hazies, which are basically the people that are only into the new uh, the New England IPAs that are the hazy IPAs. That's right. That, now that's a new trend. That's all they didn't want to do. And then this one, this one was kind of sobering to me as well, because this is definitely me. And I know this is what my friends think of me. Uh, a tick or a ticker it's just somebody who doesn't want to enjoy the beer as much as he wants to tick off all the new unique beers you can try like I, i'm kind of ah. like well I, I buy a four pack or a six pack but i'm like well i've already had that i want another so that's that's why my beer fridge is overflowing yeah. my wife is insanely that's that's kind of i don't understand that because one of the things that i guess because i came from a world where we had no craft beer that was only 40 years ago people um right. And now there's just all this explosion of so many different kinds of fantastic beers and new ones being made every day. I I just I want to try it all. I do have yeah, my go to. I have my go tos. I go back to like I have been drinking um, Sweetwater's Coastal IPA since I got home from uh, our our cruise because we've got it on tap down at the mm-hmm. pub, and I've been drinking that. 
Although we've also had uh, the sour winch from uh, Ballast Point that I've been hitting one of those every once in a while. So nice. Well, I've, I've been big into the hazy IPAs too. I'm, I'm th- that's what like I said was kind of sobering during this research is like while all the derisive terms pretty much explain me to a T. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm what what the real geeks must think of me. Um, but yeah, no, and uh, uh, they call uh, they're all out for like the newly released New England IPAs, which they call freshies. Um, they use the terms. And I'm sure you guys have heard this. It's a juice and juicy to, to yeah. describe those IPAs. Yeah, I think it's a good description for those because I, do too. I mean, like the first one I ever had was uh, Chug Suckle from Mothers, mm-hmm. and that's yep. exactly what it was. I mean, it was just juicy and citrusy and hazy, and yeah, it's like. Well, it brings it brings the fruit profile of, uh, yeah up from from the bitterness of the, of the hops right sure but they, there's some really fun terms as well like um like a white whale or just a whale is that rare beer rare beer that you kind of look for uh all the time and then my, one of my favorites is beached whale uh, which is the super rare beer that you regret opening the day after oh, i always yeah. have that too like your friends are like oh, let's just open one more and then you end up opening that bomber and like you can't finish it or you do finish it and you shouldn't have finished it um and you just like wish still wish you had it the next day yeah um the other cool thing is the culture that has revolved around beer, and this goes with the ticker thing we talked about earlier. Um, if you get on some of these apps like Untapped, where you can kind of like broadcast, you know, take a picture of your beer and broadcast, and that's what everybody's doing with food and everything. And I, I, I have Facebook friends who just are like, really, Tony? Because I post pictures of the beer I'm drinking, and it's, it's almost solely so, so I can remember what I drink, and I go back and look at them. But, like, there's terms like beer wall or beer tower, which is basically when you go out and you have this major hall of beer, you stack it up in your apartment or your, or your house and take a picture, put it on Instagram. Your beer cellar is kind of where you store your beer. But, I mean, it's come to mean basically your crisper of your fridge or, like, you know, the bottom of your closet. Um, what I love, too, the, this there's lingo about, uh, you know, when you're partying. Um, there's safety beer that you bring when, when you go out just in case there's nothing but like regular beer at the party you're going to. Right. I, I've done this a couple of times, uh, you know, just packed a cooler full of your own craft beer and then you show up to the party where there's nothing but Bud Light and fat tire. And you're like, okay. And they're like, what are you drinking now? Um, and then the, my favorite, this is the, the fronters, which are like regular beers when you're having a party and you buy a bunch of regular beers and you put those in the front of your fridge so they'll leave your good <laughs> stuff alone. <laughs> you can buy a bunch of, you know, just buy a bunch of, you know, Miller Lights or whatever, Amstel, and just throw it in there and make sure to kind of detract them from trying. Because I had my my uncle was over uh, was over working on our uh, our bathroom, and he was he, he likes he likes his yellow beer. That's what he was raised on. He, that's what he loves. But he decided to try one of mine, and he picks the mocha stout. And I'm uh-huh. like, like you're not gonna. He's like it t- tastes like dirt, and I'm like, you well, it's it's, it's you're, you're you're going the wrong direction. It's not a bridge beer, man. It's not. I could I could have directed you had you asked me. You know, it's right. Like, you don't you don't jump jump straight from natural light to to a mocha stout. No, it's like yeah yeah. I mean, you're <laughs> you're, you're there's no way you can do that, and right. and really, I mean, and really understand what you're drinking. I mean, there's just no way. Uh, yeah. You, yeah, and I tell people this all the time. People, people say, oh, I don't like IPAs. And I go, well, you know what? You, how many times have you tried an IPA? I think you just haven't found one you like yet. Yeah. And a lot of times when, when their answer is, well, I only drank it once. Well, you know, a few years ago, there were a lot of these um, craft brewers we're trying to see just how hop heavy they how hop heavy and how hop forward they could go. I remember there was a beer on draft up at um this has been a number of years ago now up at uh, what was it old Chicago Pizza in uh Columbia. 
Yeah, I remember it. It's closed and, now. Yeah, it's gone. Bye, bye, bye. Well, how can you have you know fifty right, fifty right. beers on tap and keep it all fresh in a town that size? Okay, I'm saying right. Um, but they had this one I um, IPA that had a hundred monkey loving IBU. I, I said, okay, I got to try it just to see uh, what happens, and it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible because it didn't have enough malt. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a double IPA where they, you know, they they malted it up. It was just, it had no balance. It was just, it mm-hmm. was terrible beer. And I know a lot of people, that's the kind of thing they've gotten a hold of. And they're like, oh, I don't like IPAs. Anyway, so is, is, is there a slang term for somebody who says they don't like IPAs but still like craft beer? Not not specifically. I didn't find that. Uh, yeah. We ought to yeah, be, I, 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 we ought to make up a term, like seriously. <laughs> yeah, the, the never, the like, never, the never agains or something, like right, that. like the hop, yeah, the the hopophobics, hopophobics. That's it. That's it. Hopophobic. I love it. <laughs> there's hops in this beer, like dude. There's hops in every. Beer. There's hops. In, yeah, I don't like it. I'm hoppy. Anyway, what else we got going here? What other words? Well, the the good words are to have like to to describe taste too, and I'm sure you've heard some of these like uh, crushable. Oh yeah, it's easy easy yeah. drinking. I, my dense. buddy, my buddy Brooks in Chicago, he threw he dropped that one on me a few years ago. He goes, "Oh yeah, it's a crushable beer," and I was like, uh. "I live in right, Missouri. exactly. I live in Missouri. It takes a while for things to get here." <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, no, and then the new one too, and this has actually come. You mentioned Sweetwater mm-hmm. uh, because uh, it's a uh, dank is, is something that oh yeah, especially for hoppier beers, yeah, especially ones that kind of have those. Uh, marijuana type characteristics yep. i know that's a big thing yep. with sweetwater beers yeah it's dank yeah uh, they were talking to, it, yeah i think they when i i think in that interview that i did with them they dropped that word a couple of times and i was like okay i'm not gonna act like an idiot and i don't know what that exactly means. and then i looked it up later on so yeah exactly and the, the, the like light struck uh, which is basically replaced skunked beer like when anything's light struck it means it's gone bad yeah and if it's gone too bad, you call it a drain pour, which means it's a it's just a bad beer yep. that just goes down the drain. Yep. And two, there are three of my favorites, and these are kind of nondescript that that, that stood out to me. One, um, you know, they call a release is, is like you know when they release a beer out of a of a brew pub and, and people line up outside. Yeah. Well, a Chewbacca is the sidekick you take with you, the friend who doesn't <laughs> isn't in, into, into beer, who's just your sidekick who goes with you. That's a, that's a Chewbacca. Um, <laughs> a, yeah, I love I love that one. I, okay. <laughs> and then after, after a night of drinking at home, when we used to call them dead soldiers, but uh, you call it a graveyard now. Um, and when you take a picture of it, that's a kill shot. It's like, uh, you took, you took, okay. And I'm, I'm a big fan of taking the picture of the yeah. beer when it's full. Um, and then this one's my favorite. This one is a term for uh, once sought after beer that no longer sells and is therefore sitting on shelves in every store you go. It's a shelf turd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, there's a lot of those. I'm not going to name any names, but, uh, yeah, they're uh, not what they used to be or they've kind of they've kind of lost their appeal. Totally. So, yeah, that's that's very interesting. That's yeah, really yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, so, yeah, if you hear these things, especially when you're sitting in the right. in a craft beer place, yeah, they, they, you, went, they went over my head. And so so I we're, we're going to be in Dublin on, what, the 13th, I think? Of yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm gonna be there before before you guys arrive. But and there's a great bar. It's under Brogan's Bar, which is an old traditional 
pub in the heart of Dublin on Dame Street, and right below it, downstairs in the basement, is a bar, and they do nothing but craft beer. There are no... There are no big names. There's no Guinness. There's no Carlsberg. There's no Budweiser. It's all craft beer, and it's mostly Ireland-centric, but it's also they bring in some stuff from uh, Belgium and Britain and France and Europe, basically. They bring in these craft beers, and it, it's, uh, it's called the Underdog, and it's we're going to go there. It is just one of the best places for craft beer in all of Ireland. Dublin, I can't wait. The, the drinking scene. Um, <laughs> so tomorrow I'm in Chicago tomorrow night. I think I'm going to go to Rev Brew. Uh, nice. Yeah, and I'm going to have my godson, Gordy. Uh, he's going to be my Chewbacca. So, because uh, <laughs> he can't drink yet, he's so he, he's gonna he's gonna chauffeur me over there, and I'll hopefully I might be able to get in uh, in touch with those guys before I get there tomorrow night. Anyway, uh, anything else before I see you Friday? No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. Can't wait to right. sit down a few. It's gonna be great, and uh, we're gonna do a lot of Facebook Live, everybody. We're gonna Tony and I are gonna be doing a lot of Facebook Live about craft beer. So if you're not following us on Facebook, you might want to start right away. Mr. Tony Rehagen, freelance journalist, thank you so much, buddy. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you Friday morning. And the next time you hear from me and Tony, we're going to be sitting side by side somewhere in the Emerald Isle. Safe travels, buddy. You as well, man. All right. You've been listening to The Brews Traveler. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or check out our blog on website, thebrewstraveler.com. Cheers. Well, that's it, folks. Thanks again for listening. Please go over to iTunes and subscribe. Give us a five-star rating and a glowing review. And please subscribe. That's the easiest, simplest thing that you can do to support the podcast. You can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram at The Bruce Traveler Podcast and on Twitter at The Bruce Trav LR. Musical soundtrack for The Bruce Traveler is generously provided by our good friends Gaelic Storm. Check out all their music on iTunes and their tour dates at GaelicStorm.com. Marketing consultation is provided by Mission Digital Marketing. Coming soon to the website, The Bruce Traveler Stuff. Hats, t-shirts, pint glasses, etc., etc., probably after the first of the year. So keep that in mind, and soon you'll have Bruce Traveler swag that you can wear around. I'm in Ireland for the next two weeks, and I'll have episodes recorded from Ireland for you next week and the week after. So if I don't see you at the Stag's Head in Dublin, the Field Bar in Kilkenny, the Castle Inn in Cork, at Kennedy's or O'Flaherty's in Dingle, or at Miles Lee's Do Drop In in Galway City, I'll see you right back here on the podcast. Remember, take care of each other and take care of the earth. It's everything we've got. And Marilee, coming to you from across the Atlantic. I love you, honey. You are the measure of my dreams. Thanks again, everybody, and so long for just a while. Let me tell you a little story about a man named Johnny Tarr. He was a hard-drinking son of a preacher, always at the bar. Larger from the tap, or shots of paddy from the shelf. He could open his throttle and throw back a bottle as quick as the devil himself. Johnny Tarr. 
got him wrong that Johnny Tar was no pretender. From Clare to here, they'd lock up the beer when Johnny went on a bender. Down at Dickie Max, the rising sun, or at the swan. He was drinking by seven, by ten to eleven, when all the booze would be gone, Johnny Tar. And even if you saw it yourself, you wouldn't believe it, would I wouldn't trust a person like me if I were you. Sure. I wasn't there, I swear I have an alibi. I heard it from a man who knows a fellow who says it's true. It was nine in the morning on a cold and rainy night. Johnny walked into the castle bar, looking to get tight. He had money in his pocket. He had whiskey in his eye. He said, get up off your asses and set up the glasses. I'm drinking this place dry. Now all the serious boozers, they were soon broken hearted. When Johnny finished off six, and he was only getting started. Guzzling down the pints and knocking them back like candy. He was looking all right to be drinking all night. And Nora brought out the brandy, Johnny Tarr. And even if you saw it yourself, you wouldn't believe it, but I wouldn't trust a person like me if I were you. Sure, I wasn't there. I swear I have an alibi. I heard it from a man who knows the better who says the truth. Here we go, Sheila. Oh. Johnny drank the whole damn bottle, had another point or two. When it made no impression, he started a session with Murphy's Millennium Brew. He was waiting for his point when his face turned green. Jesus, Johnny fell down after only 15. Now you could have heard a pin drop when the crowd let out a roar. It took five cork women to lift Johnny off the floor. The doctor looked him over, said you better call the horse. But it's not what you're thinking, it wasn't the drinking. This man died of thirst, Johnny Tarr. Even if you saw it yourself, you wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't trust a person like me if I were you. So I wasn't there. I swear I have an alibi. I heard it from a man who knows a fellow who says it's true. And even if you saw it yourself, you wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't trust a person like me. Being Irish, he had an abiding sense of tragedy which sustained him through temporary periods of joy. William Butler Yeats, Nobel Laureate in Literature, born June 13, 1865, Sandy Mount, County Dublin, Ireland, died January 28, 1939, Caen, France. Buried September 1948, Drumcliff Cemetery, County Sligo, Republic of Ireland. <laughs>